Welcome to episode 3 of Breaking the Dice. On this week's episode, we discuss our recent plays, go a little in-depth on Kickstarter exclusive and promos, and finally, wrap things up with a discussion on our shelf of shame. Hey gamers, this is Michelle with Breaking the Dice, and we are here tonight with Jay. What's up? And Paul. Hey everybody. And we are going to talk about some interesting things tonight. We're going to talk about some stuff we've played, um, and we're going to cover the topic of Kickstarter exclusives and kind of the different dramas surrounding that right now. First off, let's talk about what we've played since last time we got together. Paul and I got started in the Arkham Horror LCG. Unfortunately, it's just a two-player game, but amazing little card game, I think. Paul, what are your thoughts on it so far? Yeah, I think it's it's probably my my favorite version of Arkham Horror at this point. We didn't get into it quite as deep as as I think I would like. I definitely would like to spend some more time with it, but it is a lot of fun. It's interesting. It uh, it's a little reminiscent of time stories in some ways. I mean, it's a little it's a quite a bit far off from that. Kind of the the card play in it is is something that is kind of similar to that, and I really enjoyed that game. So it's it's something that's that's working out pretty well for me. I am not a big like CCG LCG fan. I've never been a big fan of those. This doesn't feel like that to me, and that's what's really cool. Like even though it's just a card in your decks and everything else, when you're in it, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like a true board game, and I don't know how it manages to capture it other than just really great theming. But to me, it doesn't feel like. A card game. You just get so into it and the way it works and the mechanics of it and I love that, okay, spoilers out there, if anybody hasn't played you might want to stop for a second. I love that when you open, you know, when you go into a room, you can flip the card over to open the door or to search or whatever and it's a complete like random, you you have no clue what you're working towards. When you're in that room and you're trying to search and when you finally reach that objective, so if you have to find five clues in the room. Okay, you work really hard and you get those five clues and then you flip the card over and it's like, oh, well, maybe we didn't want to do this because something terrible is now at us. Yeah, you know, and I, I thought it was I thought it was really interesting that uh, the the first game that we were playing, we kind of weren't doing so well. We were we, we had run into a little bit of trouble and hit some rough spots. And I really thought that you know that was going to be it and it was going to be kind of similar to to time stories where you know if you if you run through it and you don't manage to complete what you were trying to accomplish then you might you might have to run through it again and that's that's kind of the setup for time stories with Arkham Horror they kind of they kind of stepped away from that and said okay well the outcome of this of this particular scenario is the outcome that's that's what you get and so live with it um, so I thought I thought that's that's a really cool play on it. I love the idea that it might play out differently, and I think we need to get into it a little bit more before we can really say that 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 matters that much. I don't know that maybe the ending was just the ending for those scenarios was that was just for us, and it didn't really play into the the whole game arc. But I really liked that 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 was something that that was an option. It could really play out that way. Yeah, I think another thing that was really cool to me is if you find like the survivors or whatever, when you find these key people, you actually put them in your deck. So they're with you for the long haul. And so I thought that was a really cool way, especially in an LCG, of like being able to build up. And it was just really cool. Another game we played uh, that is new is Mystic Veil. Both of you guys got to play that. What are your thoughts on Mystic Veil? Yeah, so I think uh, I think our play was was not necessarily under the, the best circumstances. It was a it was a pretty crowded 
pretty crowded room. There were a lot of distractions, but I, you know, sitting there, sitting there playing it and, and kind of getting into the mechanisms of it. I've, I've been a fan of this game since we opened the box and, <laughs> and, and, and had to perform the, the card preparation yes. ritual. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh-huh. I, I cool. enjoyed that quite a bit. And, you know, just for being something kind of quirky and weird, I played gloom a long time ago. So, so I, yeah. I enjoy the idea of the, the transparent cards and the kind of layering, you know, this one, I think kind of plays on it a little bit differently than, than how gloom is trying to play on it but it, it is it is a very interesting take on what is essentially just a, a deck building game and i think they could have dropped the 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 card building mechanism and still made the game fairly similar but i like the kind of mechanic of it and in, in piecing things together yeah for those of you who don't know mystic veil is a, a card crafting system so basically it's a deck builder but instead of building well you are building a deck but you're actually building each individual card in the deck so the game is all these translucent pieces of cards that you slide into a sleeve that you're trying to then build up and make a better deck with and and kind of get more and more points and and go that way. So it's a very interesting take on a deck builder. I really enjoyed it. It was I was a little worried that it was going to be a little heavy for my taste, but I, I think once you got into it and you figured out the iconography, it was really simple and I'm really excited to see what they do with this game because I think if they keep that base of being a simple game but the strategies can get pretty complex. And I really felt like everybody at the table had a different strategy of going into it. Like, I don't think any one of us was using the same idea, the same strategy. So that's always nice to see when you can play first play out of the box and everybody's got a different take on it. I think when I was playing it, I... I recognized a thread in there that that was very similar to Splendor to me, and and, and in that way, I think I think it actually felt a lot lighter than I expected it to be, uh, because a lot of the a lot of the mechanics of Splendor are kind of in there. It's the idea mm-hmm. that as yeah, you're building up, you're 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 getting this kind of engine built that that will allow you to. Uh, you know, to to get kind of get things for free, in, sort of in a in a way, and and that's that was that was kind of where I thought, okay, so this is if this is going to be uh, similar to Splendor, then I need to be running it kind of the same way. I need to focus on some of this some of this lower level stuff. They had the you know they have the the same thing that most deck builders have where it's the the kind of throwaway card that you can purchase the one that's it's not great but it's the cheapest thing out there so if you if you can't pick up anything else you pick up that uh, those were a lot more a lot more integral to to my strategy oh, yeah. than than it would have been had it been any other kind of deck builder those uh you know those were really what let me let me build up and get get something going because you know for the start of the game i was kind of ignoring those and was going for the more expensive cards that were better and then you know realizing especially when you consider that you're you know it's card crafting so when you buy a card you're not buying just a card you're you're basically buying one third of of a card you're enhancing the cards that are already there so you can take one of those that's cheap and not great add it to one of your one of your cards and say well this card's a little bit better now and in the future it might get a lot better so i'm not really i'm not really set on just because i added this thing that's not great that doesn't mean that my cards are any worse it's all it's all better there's really there was really no penalty to taking those those cheap cards whereas there would have been in a different kind of deck builder i totally agree jay what's something interesting you got to play since last time we talked 
So uh, the, the game I've played recently, we, we got a couple plays in this weekend, was uh, Sushi Go Party, uh, which was the three to eight player version of Sushi Go that kind of takes it up from the four player max to the eight player max, which really I, I enjoy. I think it takes Sushi Go up an, an, another yeah, step. We got to actually play it with a full eight players too, which was something I haven't gotten to do. Yeah, and it, it really... It really makes it a lot more fun when you when you take that take it up to that next step of player count. It also adds in more variety. So those of you that have played Sushi Go, you still have the base Sushi Go makeup that you can do of of ingredients, but it also comes with a lot of other ingredients. So you can swap out the desserts, you can swap out the appetizers, different things like that throughout to make a different menu each time so it kind of changes up the game every time you play if you want to and the most important part is it includes a scoreboard so you don't have to have a pen and paper to write stuff down all in all makes the game worth upgrading if you have sushi go or going out and buying if you don't yeah i definitely think sushi go party is the game that sushi go intended to be yeah i totally agree um i think uh it was also really telling that we sat there and played it with a range of seven years old and up so we had every variety there and it was really cool to see like even the the kids and the non-gamers and just the magic players and then hardcore board gamers all playing it together it was really cool and sushi go is is a really good party game for that just because it's got the strategy to it so the the hardcore gamer will get into it a little bit and it's not super in depth that a child can't play it. And it's not intimidating. Like it's got cute art. Exactly. And it's delicious. It is delicious. So other than Sushi Go Party, the other thing that we got in this weekend was Lords of Waterdeep again. Um, it's kind of one of those games that it seems to hit the table every so often, especially when you're dealing with, with the D and D player. Um, that's used to that. Which is why we played it, is I actually have a guy uh, who comes down to Village Geek a lot, and that's what he does, is he runs a campaign, and he wanted he wanted to look at it, because he's like, yeah, it's a D&D game, and so he wanted to see what it was about. And it plays, it, it's such a great entry-level game for a D&D player to really get into kind of what, what board games are, and kind of a filler game if they're looking for a game to play, and they don't want to run a campaign that night, or whatever. They don't have all their players. It really fills in that spot. Yeah, I, th- I think Lords of Waterdeep is a, is a- huge endorsement for a theme because i think we've seen several occasions where you have your 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 pen and paper rpg player someone that's played a lot of dungeons and dragons probably someone that's that's familiar with with the setting of of waterdeep and they'll pick it up and it's it's there's no there's no translation necessary it's there's nothing unusual about they're used to a different style of game none of that it's just they they immediately get into it and you know the you can see that kind of eagerness to to play it and as you're you know you're pulling out your different quests and you're you get to you know domesticate your owlbears and things like that and uh you know one of the one of the players was was really excited because we ended up building a building that was that was actually named after the setting of a game that he was in, he was about to run. Uh, so you know, getting someone in off of that theme, you know, they'll play anything if you can if you can hook them with the theme. You and your domesticating owlbears. I do love domesticated owlbears. Well, you don't want the wild ones. No, and that's that's a game where I you know I secretly get a little bit excited every time I get the the lord that I'm 
that I'm given is Pierre Jiren because he's he's a character that in my in my past in my history of of gaming I had had some some encounters with and he's he was a he was a player that I was familiar with. It's probably even more so. I I haven't read much of the much of the books and the novels that have been written in that setting, but for people that have, I'm sure that's that's even more exciting getting to see even some of the characters they know, some of the settings that they're familiar with and and really kind of bring up some some beloved stories from their past. The other thing that's good about the game is that anybody coming in, whether they're familiar with the game or not, can, as long as they're strategically minded a little bit, they can be competitive in the game. So the first time player lost by two points to you, Paul. Correct? Yeah, and and I, you know, the whole game, I thought I was out of it. I had a I had a really slow start. That was I, ridiculous. I, did, I didn't I didn't really expect to win, and I'm not the kind of person where I, you know, if if a new player is about to win a game, I'm you know I'm I'm happy to let him have it because that that might that might really get them into it a little bit more and, and make them enjoy it more. Uh, but you know, I just played the game as I normally play it. And, you know, and, and one of the, one of the things that really did it for me is that I was, I was playing the, the, the builder, the Lord that gives you extra points for, for the buildings that you've built. And, you know, I had, I had quite a few buildings on the board and that those in-game points pushed me so far ahead that, that I ended up winning it by just, just a little bit. I think, I think we were looking at everything after the fact and it was, the one last mandatory quest that that uh, new player had been given by his friend in the game. Friend using air quotes here. Because um, <laughs> I don't know that they're friends now. But he had been given a mandatory quest on the last round that kept him from completing a higher point quest that mm-hmm. would have given him the win. Yeah, and he did He did have several mandatory quests that he received through the course of the game. Uh, you know, I wasn't I wasn't a big player on that. The, the play that I did was... was uh, relatively intrigue free but a lot of the other players on the board were were doing that quite a bit and so that's that's what really slowed him down a lot i wasn't part of that uh because i thought i was out of it early on so i didn't didn't try to interfere well and he was kind of the runaway player from the start correct mm-hmm. oh yeah we totally yeah, got yeah, hustled. he really was he really <laughs> we was. got hustled by him which speaks to the you know catch-up mechanic of that yes. game too and that those mandatory quests really come back to bring that runaway back in to rein him back in and give other people a chance to overtake him. So something I've been playing a lot of recently, all by my little lonesome, is the Oniram app uh, that recently released. Oh my goodness. I thought I wanted this game until I got the app, and now I'm like, I never have to shuffle cards, and it's amazing. Really enjoying this little, uh, it's, a, it's a solo game. It is you against the deck, essentially, and you're in a labyrinth, in a dream world, I believe. You're trying to find the four or five doors out of the labyrinth and escape before your nightmares basically take you. So far, I would like to brag that out of five games, I have won all of them, so I think it's time to kick it up a notch. But if you're somebody who likes a solo play, the app is beautiful. It's very easy game to uh, sit down and play. And it's also a really easy game to play a couple rounds while you're waiting at the office or, you know, waiting for to pick up the kids from school. And you don't have to be in this in-depth you know, game on your iPad or anything else like that. You can literally play a couple hands and then move on. So I'm really enjoying that just because of the ease of pick it up, play a little bit, put it back down, don't have to worry about it. Just, I mean, the artwork is awesome. It's very abstract. It's just really well done app. So I've got to suggest that if you're interested in uh, picking up Oniram, uh, definitely pick up the app. I mean, it's a uh, 
it's it's a great taste of what the game actually brings. And for those of you like me that don't know how to spell these games, <laughs> that is O N I R I M. Yeah, the the app store is not not particularly forgiving when it comes to misspelling a misspelling a board game's name. I'm in the process of downloading that right now. <laughs> I had picked it up a little bit a little bit earlier this week, um, and I, I think it is, you know, I, I think it is a really a really great app adaptation for that game. We had we'd talked about it uh, in the past. It was always one that I thought, you know, this this is a game I should probably pick up sometime. But well, yeah, being, because you and I have sil- played a bunch of uh, Sylveon, which oh, is yeah, in the yeah. same realm, and it's either a solo game or has a two player variant, and it's about a forest. Uh, fire, and you're trying to save the forest, and yeah. uh, we really enjoy playing that one. So we've talked many times about picking up Bone Iron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the you know the theme, the 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 setting, this kind of this kind of world. They are, uh, you know, they are they are kind of loosely related games as far as the the overarching the world and the theme. And so some of the some of the art is is kind of a common common thread. They're different. They're very different games. They play entirely differently, and even the themes are different. But there's there's that common thread there. Oh yeah. Uh, you know. And it's it's nice with you know with Oniram being a solo game, you know, just having that app makes it a lot easier. I don't have to worry about taking the time to set it up. I can just kind of play it. It feels a lot like a solitaire game because you know you've got this deck of cards and and you know the the shuffle kind of determines how you're going to how you're going to have to play. You're trying to get things in a specific order. Um, so so it does it, it is very reminiscent of you know, of the old solitaire games, but the, the, the look and the feel of it, I think is much more, much more entertaining than just pulling out the old, you know, the old four yeah. suit deck of cards. And, and, and it's also playing. not a play it out. Like you have ways to get around everything. So that's also nice. Like if you get a bad draw, you can usually get around it. Yeah. No, I, now, Paul, I, I, are there achievements to this game that you need to, <laughs> okay. So I looked for them and, uh, and it does not appear that there are any, any achievements, and I, I went through the tutorial because I, the first thing I did, I pulled it up and said, uh, "Play a game," and then it came up, and not really knowing how the game worked, it, I was, I was staring at it like, ah, "This is, this is not going to work." Let's, let's go back, <laughs> let's play the tutorial, and actually figure out what I'm supposed to do. Uh, it is, it is a pretty good tutorial. I, I don't, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I don't like tutorials very much because I feel like it gets to a point where it's like, okay, I got this. Let me, let me go. Let me go. Let me do it. Uh, you know, it, but it, it was a pretty good tutorial and I kind of needed it because I didn't understand what anything was until, until I went through that. Yeah. But it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really have, it doesn't really have achievements. It doesn't really have anything. If you're, if you're into tracking your progress in that way, all it really does is, is basically keep your high score and, yeah. uh, and a win loss ratio, which, uh, you know, which this will reveal the that uh, that Michelle is much better at this game than I am because I think my ratio is somewhere in the neighborhood of forty percent win. Wow! So, so I, I had I've had a I had several rough plays. To me, it felt a lot like I was I was being punished by the draw. But I think if you're having that much luck with it, it's probably just that my my play style isn't giving me any any significant advantages. I, I tend to have. Uh, you know, when I play games, I tend to kind of look at the the mechanics of the game, and in my mind, I work out a set of rules. You know, it's it, in this scenario, I'm going to do this. Like this is the this is obviously the best thing to do. So whenever I'm in this scenario, I'm always going to do this. And I think uh, I think I'm 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 a little bit too inflexible sometimes. So 
so I'm getting, I got, I, I played a, I played a game just earlier today and I think, uh, I got to the point where, you know, I had, I had the last card that I needed. I was ready to play that card and win. There's, you know, 20, 20 some cards in the deck. So, so as long as that doesn't run out, I'm fine. Uh, but you know, you have the nightmares that come out and, and kind of, kind of wreck what you're trying to do. And they force you to force you to handle your cards in a way and deal with them. And I thought, well, you know, I have the card in my hand, so all I have to do is not discard that, and I'm fine. And I sat there and I watched as I, I continually, you know, chose other options, whatever option I had that was available that wasn't discarding my hand, and I burned through that that whole 20-card deck and lost. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so... So yeah, you know, it's it's something where I felt like I felt like there was a big luck component to it, but that's that's not unusual for you know any kind of any kind of solitaire game, uh, you know. And I'm as we're as we're learning now, it might just be that I'm not very good at it. <laughs> new games we picked up and new games we're excited about. Uh, we picked up Lotus. I'm very excited about that one. Haven't made it through that yet. Um, also, Element. Element is an abstract two to four player game. Um, Kind of a chess feel, but with more simplistic rules. So I'm, I'm really, I'll, I'll stop here real quick on Element. I'm really excited to get some plays out of that. I played it once at Gamma, was really enthralled with it, and had to have the game. It plays so well. There's, there's four elements. They all cancel each other out. So water beats fire, fire beats air, air beats earth, and earth beats water. So you can, you can kind of go around the board or go throughout the board and you're trying to encapsulate your opponent so that they can't move and if they can't move on their turn then you win the air allows them to kind of skip over spaces though earth you can kind of build together to build a mountain range so you can't it's impassable except by kind of blowing over it with the air fire spreads as you place more fire tokens and then water moves as you place it kind of in a river style fashion so as you put one on the end of another however many are in that one row kind of snake along however you want up to a certain number of spaces so it's kind of cool and you're kind of moving around trying to trying to surround your opponent so they can't move to win the game in a two-player it's just you against the other person as you add more players it's now you against the person to your left or right. I don't remember which direction specifically. But it's only you against that person. And then that person's trying to surround the next person on their right side. And so each person has a different person that they're trying to surround and beat. So you have to be careful not to surround somebody else and give another player a win instead of going after who you're sp- supposed to be going after. So it's it's a really mind-intensive game when it comes to adding in more than just that standard two-player abstract strategy. I really am excited to get a play of that in. So so this game, what's the the is the player count four? Or do you need can it can it work with two or three? It, it is two two four. So it works well at two. I've the only time I've ever played it is two. Um, it was myself against Jed from the Village Geek and McPherson. I ended up, I think, helping him beat me. Um, I kind of beat myself 
by explaining the rules to him and, and kind of walking him through the game as we were playing, surrounding myself with a really long river. It does, as you add that third player, now you're trying to beat the player next to you and they're trying to beat the player next to them. So it, it changes the dynamic. And then the fourth player does the same thing. It just adds another player into that three-player rule set. Hmm, okay, it sounds interesting. I've, I've seen I've seen the game, uh, you know, a couple of different places. I've I've heard some things about it, but I haven't had a chance to haven't had a chance to really get down and play it. It's one of those that's received the Dice Tower Seal of Excellence. It's gotten a couple of the other podcast and video reviewer seals. I mean, it's it's really gotten a lot of good buzz this year for good reason. It, it looks good. I mean, it, it's basic overall, but it looks really good. Yeah, so that's um that's one we're really excited to play. So hopefully we're going to play in that of that in before uh, next time so we can tell you how that goes. So some of the things we wanted to cover tonight is kind of this back and forth right now with Kickstarter and Kickstarter exclusives. So there's been some debate on whether it's a overall, is, are the exclusives a good idea, a bad idea. There's been a debate on that it's hurtful to the brick and mortar stores. So first off, I want to get your guys' senses. Good idea, bad idea, overarching. Kickstarter exclusives, as in you cannot get them after the Kickstarter. It's not like a, you know, we'll release the same thing in six months, but if you get it in Kickstarter, you get it now. So I personally don't have a problem with Kickstarter exclusive. I understand that if I want that exclusive material, for instance, Rising Sun has a ton of Kickstarter exclusive. Simon in general, I know if I'm going to back a Simon game and it does well, it's going to have a bunch of exclusives that are only available from the Simon Kickstarter. I'm okay with that. It's an, it's an incentive for a person to come and back that game, put the money up up front, knowing they're going to have to wait up to, I think Rising Sun is set for a year out to ship. I'm putting my money into that game a year in advance so that they'll make it, and I get some benefit out of that. Yeah, and that I think that with Kickstarter, that is that is part of the game. That is the the first the first stage of the game is just you know getting in the Kickstarter, getting into the getting into the kind of hype and and getting into you know here's all the stretch goals and and here's you know here's all the all, here's all the extra stuff that you can get. Um, you know, I'm I'm kind of in the middle on on Kickstarters because I don't I don't like exclusivity. I, I'm not a big fan of that. I I hate the idea that. I you know I have this game I have this version of this that I can play and I can show it to someone and they can really enjoy it and now they can't go get it you know they that's something that they're never going to be able to achieve well, especially when you're talking so like Santorini I know it's not a big deal but it came with an expansion now you can go out and buy the expansion now but there are some games where full expansions are being released as a Kickstarter exclusive like that seems a little on the far side to me. It seems strange to me as well just having, you know, having in your Kickstarter, you're also you also have the expansion, you know. It's it, this this game hasn't even come out yet, uh, but we're pretty confident that that it can benefit from an expansion or even needs an expansion. Uh, it's it seems it seems a little a little odd to me. It's it's kind of the the day zero DLC for, for yes. video games kind of idea. It's it's like well if if the game really needed it, why didn't you just include it from the start? You know I I'm I'm not a big fan of of Kickstarter exclusives. I think Kickstarter is is a good way for a lot of developers to produce their games and and if you look at look at trends in the industry, I, I think it's hard to argue that 
Kickstarter hasn't been a good thing. I definitely think it's it's done a lot of good things for you know for tabletop gaming, and it's it's even introduced some. Uh, you know, some of the kind of odd, odd sort of gateway games that, uh, that really hit Kickstarter and got a lot of attention. Um, Exploding Kittens, you know, it, 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 it got a lot of press when it, when it was on Kickstarter and it was a huge Kickstarter. Uh, I think a lot of people that picked it up are people that are not, not traditionally gamers that wouldn't have otherwise been interested in tabletop gaming. Now, some of them are possibly still that way or maybe they only play exploding kittens which you know doesn't doesn't really have the best shelf life of of games <laughs> out there it's it's a fun game but it's just not not something that, that real serious gamers are going to want to play I, I mean it was it was purchased by two hundred and twelve thousand people just from kickstarter so i'm sure there are plenty of people that have just exploding kittens in their collection yeah and that doesn't count that you can find it in any target right now i mean so from the Kickstarter exclusive, I love I love exclusives. I think they they have a place for kind of dry, trying to drum up the interest in Kickstarters. At the same token, I don't understand why Simon needs to run a Kickstarter to drum up enough money to publish a game when they've published hit after hit. Well, after it's a hit. pre-order system at that point. It's a pre-order system, and I think that's yeah. my problem. I'm I'm a little bit harsher on. Kickstarter exclusives, um, I, I get a little frustrated with them um, because I I don't like the exclusives. I just don't. I am all for, hey, if you order our game early, we're going to give you this stuff first. That's fair. I'm okay with that. But I don't mm -hmm. like the whole, um, you know, there are things that you will never get for this game. Now, if it's an alternate art or something that's really not going to impact the game, okay. But, like, how many Arcadia Quest things were there that you just can't get? How many characters are there that you just can't get unless you got Kickstarter? Like, to me, that feels like a big chunk of the game. And I understand there's still plenty of figures, and there's still, but there are some that you just can't get. It also feeds that, you know, flipping, you know, the people who flip. So if you do right. this, yep. you know what? That's your thing. And, you know, I, but I'm sorry, it drives me insane. I I get why people do it, and I understand it, but to me, all it does is fuel that even more. Like, okay, I'm going to get on Kickstarter, back this game for five copies, knowing I could sell off the base copies it cost, and then all the exclusives, I could triple the cost and sell them off. And that's that's something that I think it is, is somewhat damaging to the industry, is yes. that, that, that kind of secondary market where, where someone's going to pick up the game because it's it's hyped and then when it comes out and everyone loves it then they'll go sell it on eBay and and make a profit you know it's not um it's not a huge deal for you know for gaming right now but if you look at uh if you look at the you know a whole the event ticket system where where a lot of events are you know they put their tickets out they they start selling them online and they immediately uh, get bought up. And so if you're legitimately an individual that wants to go, go to that event, yeah. you are, you're buying tickets from scalpers now. And that, and that's, that's been well, yeah. a huge negative influence on, on those, those kinds of industries. And it feels like it's starting to creep into, it's starting to creep into tabletop gaming with, um, with Kickstarters now. I was on the board game group, and I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but on Rising Sun, like, somebody posted, okay, so how many of you are going to just buy the game just to resell it in a couple months, or a couple months after it comes out? And, you know, there were a couple people who were very blatant of, like, yeah, I'll probably play it once and then sell it. Like, 
<laughs> it just blows my mind because then these people who legitimately, like you said, legitimately wanted to do, do it, and now not only can they not get in on it or they can't, you know, maybe you can't drop $100, $150. I mean, we've hit back to Kickstarter. So they're upwards of $250 for a game. Like, that's a big investment. So if you're one of these people who can't do that, then you say so you're going to have to wait for the next year or whatever, and that's great. There's all kinds of games out there. Go play other games. But if that's something you have your heart set on, and now it's like, oh, wait, I can't even get it now because they're out of stock and whatever, yeah, you're having to buy from the scalpers. You're having to buy from people. And I just feel like the whole exclusive thing just feeds into that. Even more so, it hurts the brick-and-mortar stores. And I'm a huge supporter, obviously. You know, we have the Village Geek here in McPherson. Um, and there's a couple other local game stores in our Wichita area. I'm a huge supporter. Like, if I can support the friendly local game store, I will, you know, get on a soapbox and give that message to everybody. Please go out and support your game stores, because those are what really make the hobby. And these exclusives, they hurt the brick and mortar because it's not something they can even compare to. Like, they'd have no, nothing they can equal out or balance out the benefits of kickstarting it and getting all the exclusives. Not to mention, they're going to get the game a year later, you know, and everybody who really wanted it has it. Hmm. And I think we talked a little bit last time that, that there are some some plans in the works to try to get the get the brick and mortar stores engaged with Kickstarter a little bit and, and give them give them some options and some possibilities. But you know, it's it's re- it, it it can't be understated how how important the the, the actual stores are to to the hobby. You know, it's it's something yes, where definitely. a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't get started with with uh, tabletop gaming without those stores. You know, there's a lot of people that their gaming group meets at a, at a particular, you know, a particular game store. And that's, that's the only, the only time they see those people. They're not, they're not associated with them outside of that. They're not friends with them elsewhere. They, you know, maybe they went in to buy, buy some magic, the gathering cards and got to talking to somebody. Now they, now they play D and D or maybe they, they came in and it was, it was a, it was game day and they had a lot of people, you know, play, saw somebody playing ticket to ride or Lords of Waterdeep or something else. And they wouldn't be into the hobby if it wasn't for that without, without those stores. Uh, you know, I, I think that there isn't much of, much of the hobby left they're yes, they're an integral piece so. and you know and it's not like we go into these stores and we're just shoveling money at them so it's it's difficult for them to you know to kind of make ends meet and and justify their business and if, if you've got kickstarter kind of whittling away at that at, at the the money that they're making and and what they can accomplish that's something that that you know we really shouldn't you know we really shouldn't be excited about we shouldn't be supporting something that's going to going to hurt them um, you know, and I don't, I, I'm not saying that Kickstarter is all bad. Kickstarter definitely has its place in the hobby. Oh, I agree. But at the same time, how much is Kickstarter really hurting that game store? Because, okay, so Kickstarter is hurting them by not being able to carry Arcadia Quest. It's a $100 game in a typical game store. How many copies of Arcadia Quest would they sell if it weren't for Kickstarter? I mean, Or that- the Kickstarter exclusives that people backed. I mean, it, it really, they're with the vast amount of games and how many games there are, and games that they can teach, and different things like that, it's not necessarily really hurting the game store. 
it's hurting a couple things here and there. It you know they can't carry that specific game, or they only may want to get one copy in once it does come out because it's not going to sell real fast because the market was flooded off of it. But there's still a want for it. I mean, there's still a need. Blood Rage was a prime example. Arcadia Quest. There's still people that will come and want that game later. And there's more people constantly coming in that weren't there in the in the hobby when those games came out. That if it's a good game, they're going to want. I feel like hype says something too, though. You know, like, it, it, okay, so you take Rising Sun as an example. It's the big hype game right now and everybody's talking about it. Or Gloomhaven. Right now, when these games are hot and people are talking about them, if if brick and mortars were able to offer them in some sort of time frame that was manageable. So like you can't, if you're a brick and mortar, you can't get a copy of Gloomhaven in right now because it's so backordered and everything else. And it's, and it's due to the Kickstarters and having to, you know, push all of those out. And once again, you know, I think it has the consumer asking the question, when I'm buying a game, why would I pay the same price in the brick and mortar store when I could pay the same price six months earlier and get all these exclusives and i think kickstarter wins every time no 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 question mm-hmm. yeah and, and and those you know you you can't support those stores by you know going in and, and and playing the games you know it's a great thing to do and it's it's definitely it's definitely what makes those stores great but if you if you go in there to play and you buy all of your games from kickstarter then uh, you know you you, yeah. you are kind of kind of being a little bit of a drag on those on, on those stores and and you know the the it's not it's not so much that those stores just can't can't make it uh in that kind of a model it's that there are other ways for them to be making their money and there there are plenty of game stores even even here locally that you know they're they uh you know they 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 were interested in tabletop games but now they they basically focused ninety percent on Magic the Gathering and you know and, and you know X Wing Dice Masters and Hero Clicks if if that's still around. <laughs> I don't you know, think that's a thing anymore. Yeah, oh, it's but like still the, around. It's still pretty popular. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and if if you're if you're into those things, that's great. But you you can you can have a store that caters to those people and has some space set aside for someone that wants to you know wants to come in once a week and and play Ticket to Ride and. And if if the store starts to think, well, these people in are coming just coming in here and taking up space, then maybe we shouldn't be accommodating them. And, and we don't want to we don't want to do that to the hobby. We don't want to do that to the stores that have, have supported the hobby. But at, at the same token, I don't feel like Kickstarter and IE Kickstarter exclusives when it comes to board games are hurting the hobby any any more or anywhere near as much as online retailers that take and offer a game for $20 less than what a brick and mortar, most brick and mortars can offer it because they have to make a profit to stay in business. And that's a fair point. You know, that's, yeah, I think that's I, definitely true. I think that's by, a fair point. By going out and buying that game on Amazon or any of the other, I mean, I'm not going to name them out, but any of the other online retailers that offer them at at least 20% off MSRP, if not more. When you buy all your games on there and then you're taking them to your local game store to play with your friends what what benefit is the game store truly getting out of that by you taking up the space and then not spending that money there and i agree and and i think as a hobby and as people who are excited about the hobby and want the hobby to grow that's something we all need to be conscious of i mean let's let's be honest i mean we've all stood in a game store and said wow i could pick this up for 15 bucks cheaper on amazon at some point you've got to make the store 
the you know is worth something the the store is worth the environment of being able to a have it there so game stores if you don't have the game that makes it hard have the game there and be able to pick it up right now and play with your friends that's a convenience cost and i feel like that's worth you know basically what you're going to pay on amazon to cover that and i think sometimes in the hobby we get and i get it there are some games that are crazy expensive especially if you want the new ones especially if you want what's hot there i mean it's not the cheapest hobby to get into And so I get trying to cut those costs. I just want to make sure that everybody understands, like, try not to make it at your game store. Try not to make that cut that cost there because you want those to be there. We want those all, we all want those to be there to support the hobby because just like, just like Paul mentioned, like, I mean, without that, I think there would be less board gamers in the world. So with that. And and publishers are doing a lot to try to try to push people back into local game stores to buy those oh, yeah. games. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yes and no, I, I guess they are. You've got there Games are some Workshop that, are really good that at it. just announced that they're going to start offering stuff online. They're going to start offering retailers to sell things online and online retailers to sell Games Workshop items in starting in May, which I think hurts a lot of the, the, the local game stores. But Asmodee and some of the yes. other big ones are starting to release things at brick and mortars a week or two in advance of any online retailers which i think is a great move and i think it's a great way to get around the kickstarter wall because i think it really does for those people who have to have it right now and have to have the new thing like that's a really great move and i really like what they're doing there and and simon is doing the same i mean I, i won't leave i won't leave cool mini or not out of this they're doing some good stuff with trying to get brick and mortars involved in Kickstarter and letting them make pledges to Kickstarter after the Kickstarter ends so that they can get pledges with all the exclusive content to sell. But they also are doing things to release games to brick and mortars early, just like Asmodee is trying to do, to really try to keep those brick and mortars being the first place you go for that brand new game instead of waiting the extra week or two that it's going to take to get it online. Kind of the same idea the movie industry went with with Redbox and some of the other retailers where they're keeping movies out of those out of those places, those cheap places for a month or two so that you have to buy it instead yeah. of renting it super cheap. So with that, just we're all friends here. Totally, this is not an argument, just a lively debate. Uh, what do you feel about like exclusives you can only get if you're at Gen Con? You can only get if you're at the Gathering of Friends. You can only get at Gamma. Even like some of these more exclusive like conventions or shows. What are your thoughts on exclusives being offered as kind of a reward? Maybe the first hundred people or whatever. What are your thoughts on that? Well, and those are those are the same as the promos for um, some of the other. You know, there's secret cabal podcast that is offering a bunch of promos a lot of the other big podcasts that do indiegogos or kickstarters offer a lot of promo benefits if you give them money basically yeah but you can't get those any other way so then the people that are backing that are they turning around and selling those online oh yeah sometimes oh yeah i mean I don't know. I, I've backed some of these before, and I'll get some promos in. There's a lot of games that I don't own of some of those promos that we're getting or that I'm going to get. What am I going to do with something that I don't have a game for? And I think that's one thing, is if you're just going to turn around and sell it for, you know, basically what you would have paid for it, what you paid for it. I think my problem comes in is when we're tripling or quadrupling or 
you know, more the cost just because, ooh, ah. Well, and, and Dead of Winter had a promo that was a one-time thing, very hard to get, or it was a con exclusive, I can't remember which, but, and it goes for $80 online right now. Is that, are you talking about the Felicia Day one that was with, I believe so. Yeah, Felicia Day, the Felicia Day one was with uh, International Tabletop Day a couple mm-hmm. of years back. See, I'll, I'll give them a pass on that one, because Dead of Winter doesn't, doesn't need Felicia Day as a character. Like, that's, that's a cool thing to get if you're interested. I, you know, it would be nice if it were a little bit more accessible, because I'm, I'm not a big fan of exclusive you know, I don't. I don't think we need to be cutting people out intentionally. Uh, but you know, that's that's a relatively small thing. If it's if it's something like an expansion or like a mini expansion, well, now you have a different game that o- that only you have that n- that no one else is going to be able to get unless they were also part of the you know the Kickstarter or the the special event or or because you backed a, backed a podcast that isn't even isn't even directly related to the game you know and I think in some cases these you know these third parties are are generating some some content that can change the game out in the wild and the game doesn't doesn't need that and really doesn't benefit from it so those are those are the things that I I, th- I think there's a line and I think they need to be kind of careful you know having upgraded components is one thing having having a game that plays differently is is something else entirely i agree i think it's one thing like i said one thing to have different art or yeah upgraded components or something like that but yeah when you've got something that is a game changer like you need to offer that out to the public and it doesn't you don't you know it doesn't need to be something that only people can get and i also think we need to be as inclusive as humanly possible when it comes to the board game uh hobby and i feel like doing these and let's throw in like the vip for the different conventions and things like that that's going on now i feel like that is drawing a line in the sand especially seeing how we all know that these that all of this is very can be very financially taxing depending on how deep you go and so i feel like it's drawing a line in the sand like oh you've got this well i've got this but it's got all of this with it you know because i had 150 dollars to spend or oh you're going to bgg well i'm a vip so i get to do all these other things like I, just, I spent ten times more on my path, <laughs> right? Just so that I could be guaranteed a, a, a ticket. And so I just, I'm not saying anything against those people who get, who are, you know, Jay's very big into Kickstarter exclusives, and and that's great, and that works for him. I just feel like as a hobby. And if you're a person who buys the VIP tickets or anything like that, like I get it. I do not fault you. I do not blame you. But I think as a whole, as a hobby, we need to be very careful because we want this to be as inclusive as possible. I want a family to be able to play with the uber nerd, with the elderly couple, with anybody in between. And so I think we need to be very careful about being as inclusive as we can. And sometimes drawing these lines in the sand of, well, I can afford the bigger copy, the better copy, makes it a little hard. Yeah, and I I think where where I'm going to have a, a lot of personal conflict is, is, uh, when we, when we get to Gen Con, uh, you know, there's going to be, there's going to like, you know, my, my feeling beforehand is I'm not going, I'm not going to be the one rushing in, you know, I'm not going to, going to trample someone to get, 
to get access to anything. You they're, are clearly not doing Gen Con right. Yeah, and, and, and that's fine. <laughs> and, and like you know, as as I don't know if we discussed it here, but I I went to PAX South, uh, which happened shortly before the the release of the Nintendo Switch, and of course that was the that was the big demo there is that they had they had the Switch set up and you could play it before it was available to the general public, and they you know they had you know they had Breath of the Wild there and they had Splatoon two and they had some some great games. And I, you know, I was there the the whole the whole weekend and didn't didn't really get a chance because the lines were really long. So on Sunday, I said, okay, well, this is this is what I want to do with my Sunday. You know, I, I did a lot of other things while I was there. I wanna I wanna make sure that today that's that's my that's my primary goals. I'm gonna I'm gonna get my hands on the, on the switch and, and check it out. Uh, so so I showed up an hour early, which you know that was that was me buying, being naive because I showed up an hour early to be somewhere in the middle of the line, uh, and you know so I was there and they they kind of opened up the doors and let everybody in, and by the time that I got to the Nintendo booth, you know just just going straight there, I I didn't run, but not not there wasn't a lot of people that were running, um, you know by the time I got there. Not only was you know were all the all the demos occupied, but they had a they had a line that snaked along the wall, and they were turning people away from the line because the line itself was full. Um, so you know so be- because of that, because I I wasn't willing to kind of rush in or push people out of the way, you know that's that's just an opportunity that I didn't get. There wasn't even an, an option. I I was willing to sit there and in you know wait in line for you know for for a, an untold amount of time um but that wasn't even an option because by the time i got to the line even even the the waiting option was gone so i feel like that's that's going to be a little bit of a little bit of my struggle at, at gen con i'm not going to want everything everything new and exciting that comes out at gen con i can wait for a lot of that but there's going to be a couple of things that I'm going to want those and I'm going to have to have to struggle with the, you know, the, the possibility that there's just, there's just not a, there, there's not a function in my personality that's going to allow me to get it. Yeah. Uh, there's not a, I'm not going to be able to step on someone's toes or, or get in the way or try to, you know, try to kind of muscle my way through. That's, that's not something that I'm, that I'm comfortable doing. So I might have to miss out on something that I won't get to play until six months after. Just yeah. don't want anything fantasy flight, and it won't be too bad. Right, because you can't even get in their booth. It, it, it's like the Switch line at PAX yeah. is the fantasy flight line at Gen Con. Yeah, yeah. so what what my, what my I'm trying to psych myself up for now, and I think my goal is I want to find uh, find some, some indie game developer who's made something that no one's ever heard of and no one's interested in, and I want to be able to pick that up and get something that's kind of, kind of weird and off the wall. You know, it's, it's, that, that's my exclusive. I, I don't want something that was only there for me. I want something that was there for everyone, and I found. We have a little bit of time left, so I want to talk a little bit about our shelves of shame. So, The Shelf of Shame is the game that you're not getting to the table. Rather it be you didn't like it very much, rather it be it's just not working out the way you thought it would, or maybe you're just too busy. So, I would like all of us to bring our Shelf of Shame game up. For me, I am going to pick on New Angeles. I love this game. It's a semi-co-op with a traitor, I put in quotation marks, element. Basically, uh, it's a four-player four, four 
player, four to five, four player game. And yeah, I think it's minimum four. Yeah, it's is, a minimum is four. It's part of the problem is that yeah. that's, it starts at four, so it's harder to play with a smaller group. And if yeah. you play with Michelle, she will be the traitor. Just dude, a fair warning. Dude. So it's a four player game, and you're going, and basically, I know that I'm trying to beat Jay. Jay is trying to beat Paul. Paul is trying to beat somebody else. And in the midst of it, somebody else may or may not be this the traitor of the game trying to take the system down. It's very cyberpunk. Um, if you're not familiar with that term, go look it up. It's amazing. Um, it's very cyberpunk, and it's a resource management game. The reason why it's on my shelf of shame is exactly what Jay said. It's, uh, or what Paul said. It's, it's minimum four players... And not only is it minimum four players, but this is a heavy game. Like, it's heavy in length. It's heavy in mechanics. It's, it's heavy in emotional drain. It is an emotional roller coaster because everything you thought you knew then crashes before you and is a lie. The whole game, you know, we've played the games like Resistance where you're yelling at each other and you're a spy and you're not. And, but this is like that except for you've been into it like three hours and you're invested in what you're trying to do. You know, the game I played, I was a, I like a pharmaceutical company so I'm trying to keep the people healthy and you know sell them their meds and still keep my company going while keeping the people happy and, and the goal of the game overall is for all the players to keep the population happy so you want to keep crime down and you want to you know keep disease down and you want to keep the population so like it's very much like a co-op but everybody's got their own objectives. Yeah, and, and they, everybody has to kind of make make their case for you know I'm I, I want to make this play, which is obviously a good play for me, but I want you to also believe that it's a good play for you and and everyone else and, and the people. Yeah. And so, man, this game is just amazing. I cannot tell you. Like, I think if I could get some more plays of this game, I mean, it would probably be easily in my top five. But it is hard to get to the table because it is the limited player count of minimum limited player count, the heaviness of it. It's not something I could sit down and say, oh, we have five people. Sweet. Let's play this, you know, ticket to ride. Let's play something. You know, this is a you've got to have five gamers like four, you know, four to start like gamers like heavy. You you don't play this with your friend who only comes over once in a while to play cards. It's also it's a very big diplomacy game. Yes. Very big back and forth. You can make deals with people. You can, you know, help out or screw them over. It's up to you. <laughs> but it very much is you have to be careful about who you play it with. Like some games that you have out there, oh, this you is, really do have to be careful about the person you play it with. This it, game can You can be playing with a heavy gamer. Some people handle things better than others. Yeah, this game will definitely, like, ruin friendships if you have somebody who is not into that style of game. Um, you know, I was playing it with my husband, Ben. He was there with, with, with all of us. The whole game, he thought I just didn't know how to play. He thought I was just terrible at the game, which was kind of the ploy I was working for. Which is a good cover for which a is, traitor. Which so, is why Michelle's always the traitor. Well, it, so, yeah, and you are you are the master of that posture. <laughs> it, 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 and, it's, and I don't understand, because he'll fall for it. He'll fall for it oh, all the time. time. And I, I don't understand, like, like no, like, this is a person who is who is is cunning in a in a very kind of subversive way you know and this is someone that yeah like you're you're playing this and I'm and I'm you know I'm I'm fairly early on wondering like okay if she's making this play like what does that have to mean what, what who who is her rival because you know it's 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 basically everyone's against 
one other player, except one player might be against everyone. And, and you were the player that was against everyone. And, you know, and I, th- I think that we all kind of realized it kind of near the end because you needed to yeah. make some big plays that, yeah. that had, that had like, to play out or you weren't going to, you weren't going to make it. Uh, but yeah, early on, like I had some, I had some, some suspicions about what, what you were doing in the directions you were going. Uh, but you know, you, when you play games like that, when you, when you get into some of those social deduction games, it's really, it's really interesting to, to kind of watch you run the board when, you know, some of those games, when things just work out for you, uh, it's, it's fascinating to see how well you can manipulate those situations. Well, and in this specific play, I was, I think Paul and I had each other's card. (laughs) So I had to go with the trader to try to get stuff done just so I could get points to beat Paul. Jay bought everything I was selling. I would like to point out, I was the only one that won anything in that game. (laughs) Solo winner, on a multi-winner game, but so I'll you take were it. you you won because I was your rival. If 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 you're if you had not pulled my card as as rival, we would have won together because we I, <laughs> I, I was willing I was willing to to help prop you up. All I needed to be was at a certain spot, but the only way that didn't work was was if you were actually my rival, and it turned out you were. Yeah, we were so far ahead of everybody else point wise. Because we had to keep battling with each other because we both needed points to beat the other player. And so I had to keep going with the trader to try to get myself points to keep pushing myself above you because you kept getting all the cards. <laughs> so you can see how, how fun this game is, like how, yeah. how, how really engaging it is. And it that's, is I, amazing. I, I really, I, I, can, I cannot agree more. This is, a, this is a game that I would love to see hit the table a lot more often. Yeah, it's like I said, I would recommend it, but it has those stipulations. It's a heavy game, just all around heavy game. Um, you have to have at least four players to play it, and it's got to be for people who can pick up on the mechanics, which there are a good chunk of them, and be able to take that backstabbing, I'm going to lie to your face, and then turn around, maybe in the next play, and take back everything I said. I may have needed a few minutes of cooldown time <laughs> to get over my frustration with Paul and Ben, and it would have been worse had I not won. But well, that, and that, that was the, that, I won, so it didn't take as long. Yeah, that was that was the great point in that game is is we we kept getting to the spots where where we had to we had to pay in to make sure things were running okay, and and every time I'm sitting there saying, well, you know. Jay's got the most money, so well, why doesn't he give a little bit extra? And in, and every time you could just see him get get madder and madder because, well, yeah, obviously he has the most money, so he can afford to. But at the same time, he was also trying to beat out me, who was right on his tail. And the reason why I was suggesting that he pay more is because I was so close behind him. And then I had Ben, who was constantly helping you along the way. And then he was helping you get more points because he didn't care how many points you had. He just had to beat Michelle. And so he could have, he didn't need very many points because Michelle didn't have a lot of points. So he could help you get points all along the way. And I'm over there frustrated because I can't get points because you're trying to beat me, which I didn't know at the time. And he's helping you get all these points and I'm trying to do anything to just keep up. But yeah, great game. It was a great game. I'd love to see the dynamics play out uh, with a few more plays. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth some time, but yeah, it does have those stipulations, so it's my shelf of shame. We, we really do need to get a couple more plays of that in soon. <laughs> All right, that, who's that's, next? That's Jay's my, shelf of shame now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My, shelf, 
shelf of shame, which I can't say, evidently. It's self of shame, evidently. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just a, a conglomerate of big box games. I love big box co-ops, big box miniatures games. Um, whether it's Mechs versus Minions, Mansions of Madness, Second Edition, I can list them off as we go along. Imperial Assault. We don't get enough plays of these in, and it's killing me. Because I see them on the shelf and I want to play them. We just don't have the time. You need the same people over and over. Getting the same group together. It hurts. It hurts. You know, some of the game, some of the big box games are doing it right. Like Mansions of Madness. They, you know, they have big scenarios there. But you could, don't have to have the same people for every scenario. So I think that really helps. But yeah, I'm with you. Those big box games... Those are hard to knock out unless you have a dedicated night. And like, okay, guys, on Wednesday nights, we are always going to come over and we're always going to play Descent, where I I still have not ever... I've started probably four or five different Descent campaigns, and I don't know that I've ever made it all the way through one. And Arcadia Quest is in that same boat. You know, Imperial Assault's probably the one I played the most of. We had a pretty good group with some other friends where we were going through Imperial Assault weekly going through one campaign a week for probably pretty close to four to five months um we went through the main two expansions started on the return to hoth expansion and then it eventually started to fizzle out and we haven't met in four months now i think it's it's just tough to continue that group and eventually somebody gets tired of it or gets frustrated in this case i think it was just a combination players weren't doing very well in the in the latest expansion that we were going through and so we were losing repetitively and as as we continued to lose and the game we kept playing it just kind of drug on and then people got busy and lives got in the way which tends to happen anytime you're talking about a big box game or you know tabletop rpgs (laughs) Any of that stuff. Life gets in the way a lot. And, you know, the monthly thing, just with those, it's hard also because you it, you forget everything from the last time. The moral of the story, kids, is if you want to play games, you can't have lives. Don't have spouses or kids unless they're in, <laughs> interested in playing that game, too. Right? No other friends. You can't have other. A job? That's definitely out of the, out of the question. There's so many good ones. I think we've only played one mission on Mechs vs. Minions. And I loved that game when we were playing it. It really has that video game, you know, just hordes of enemies coming through that you're just hacking and slashing and blowing up. And it just has such a good feel. And we've gotten one game in. And every time we talk about it, it's just getting the right people together, not having too many, not having people that haven't played or that aren't included in it previously, and not missing anybody that was playing in the previous one. So... It just makes it really tough. You know, Mansions of Madness does a good thing because you don't require that, like you said, but you still need the need people that are interested in that theme. And it, and it helps, too, if you don't have to teach it every single time. Exactly. Somebody it, who's played it before. So you got to have somebody interested in the theme that you don't have to teach and spend two hours teaching the theme or the game to, because then it drags on even more. Mansions of Madness is not a quick play no. in a lot of cases. I mean, it's going to take, it says... 90 minutes, it's probably two, two and a half hours. Even when you know the game, because things drag on, the story's really enticing, you're talking about stuff about the story, and so it just 
makes the game go long. Totally. So agree. that's that's my shelf of shame. It is big box games, and we really need to get those to the table more, especially Mansions of Madness and every one of them. <laughs> yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that that sentiment. Um, you know, Mansions of Madness, Mechs versus Minions, those great games, and and they don't they don't get enough play. You know, I have. I'm in a scenario where I, I have kind of a different a different problem. My you know my my shame is tied to Seafall. Uh, oh, I, yeah. I, I picked this game up a little while ago, and uh, you know I, I'm I'm really into the into the concept. Like I I, I love I, you know I, I love the idea behind legacy games. I like how they how they play out, and I like how things kind of kind of build on them. So I, getting this, you know, I I I think my my ambitions were were pretty high uh so in order to play this 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 is a game that has got kind of mixed reviews and i'm i'm i knew that beforehand and i'm fine with that and i'm willing to to overlook that uh what i'm not willing to do is i'm not willing to play halfway through and decide that it's just not good enough to finish yeah so the the problem is that then now I need a group of people that is is willing to make the same level of commitment. And you know, and I think the game is probably good enough that that a decent group would be willing to willing to stay involved. But then uh, I also have the the problem that with you know with uh, with life and and everything that that kind of gets involved in that and and the the work schedule that I have uh, it's turned out to be a really big challenge to to figure out where I'm gonna where I'm gonna piece together enough of a group that that is willing to sit down and you know and play this this you know three or four hour per play game and and get yeah. through you know get through I don't remember I don't remember the total total number of plays but it's you know somewhere it's up there it's somewhere 16 to 20 20 games I think yeah uh, so so getting that that level of commitment the the people that are that are willing to do it and interested and would enjoy it and also have the time and have time that is compatible with the with the free time that I've got, um, this is this is a huge challenge, and you know I, I still I'm still optimistic that I'm going to get through it. But you know I, it's 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 come down to where I've I've had to consider what it would take to make that make that work, and you know like think about well you know well, if I just if I just quit my job. Yeah, I could probably, <laughs> right? I could probably to, make that happen. You we're know? back to if you want to play games, you just can't have any yeah. of those other obligations. You know, and, and especially I, I think this goes a lot a, a lot along with what Jay was talking about. I really get to the point where I'm 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 very I'm very envious of my uh, of some of my younger days, and this is this is this this is a. Uh, you know, peak nerd is I'm really envious <laughs> of my younger days where I could spend 12 hours playing D and D and it was no, like that was a regular occurrence that I, I would have, I don't, I, we'd have scheduled games two, three times a week that would run for, for that, those kinds of time periods that would run, you know, like 12 mm-hmm. hours. That was, yeah. that was a oh, regular yeah. thing. And, you know, we struggled with getting, getting people that would reliably show up. We, every, every game that we ran, we had some mechanism to say, okay, if, you know, who are the principals that need to be here? Who are the main players? And you'd usually have about two or three, two or three people that really ran the game. And then, of course, the person that was the, the, the GM would have to be there. And then all of these other people, they were kind of the, you know, the, the tourists, the, the interchangeable characters that could come in and, and you'd have some, some convenient excuse if they ever weren't there of, of what, what, you know, where they were, why, why they weren't actively engaging. Those times when, you know, I was, yeah, you know, I, I don't even know necessarily how we did it. I guess I just wasn't, 
I wasn't working that much or or I wasn't sleeping that much. It's a <laughs> combination of the two, maybe. But it's the being young and not needing sleep thing yeah, right? that really makes the yeah. difference. You know, and, and so I, I'm I really I, I really miss the opportunities to to dig in deep with something like that. And and these were times where uh, you know, I, I feel feel bad about it now, but we would get our we'd get our gaming group together sometimes and we'd sit around and say Okay, um, we don't really have, we don't really know what we're going to do. We don't really have any, nobody has anything prepared. So, you know, we're all here to game, but what are we going to do? And I think if we had been more, more interested in tabletop gaming back then, that would have been, oh, yeah. You know, that, that would have been something that we would have been doing. But, you know, we were, we were kind of, you know, kind of invested in this, this pen and paper RPG uh, situation. So that's, that's what we would end up doing. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't regret that necessarily, no. but I just wish I had that kind of free time. Yeah, and how many times did we get together to to game and we wouldn't have enough people or the right people, and so we would just do a quick throw together or something quick, a dungeon crawl, and run through it for a night mm-hmm. and then end up running through it a bunch more because we kept getting that same group together yeah. and having fun with it. And then it spurred this big campaign out of it, and... I no, mean, sure. it, it was just, you know, I, I, I had one game specifically that, uh, you know, we were all getting together and, uh, no one, no one really had anything prepared. Uh, and we had, we had one friend that said that he could run something and, and his, his style of game wasn't particularly popular. So, so there were, there were a few people that were, were conspiring a, a way out of that situation. And, uh, and I, so I said, okay, well, I will, I will run a game. I know just on the spot. I don't have anything prepared, but we'll throw it together. You know, and it was a, it was a game that was built on a kind of a gladiator arena style thing. So it didn't really take a whole lot of thought. It was, it was really just, I'm going to throw you into the ring and I'm going to make you fight something weird. Uh, and, you know, and we did that. And the rule for the rule for the game was always that we ran it uh, maybe a dozen times. And the rule was always that I wouldn't prepare beforehand. I would just walk in and I'd think up something on the fly and, you know, and they would fight it and, and they'd have fun with that. And then we'd have, you know, the, the little post game and do that. And, uh, and that, that game ended because there was one day that, that, uh, I decided the, the game was growing a little bit and, and, uh, it needed to, it needed to expand beyond what it was. So I, I accidentally did some did some prep work and, and built up a, a more interesting scenario <laughs> to send everybody dead. through. And yeah, and I, I, hey, I hey, ended up you kill, killed it. You killed yeah, it. I killed, I killed the entire party and ended, ended <laughs> the game. Well, that pretty much wraps us up for the night. Remember to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And we've talked about throwing some stuff on Instagram. Also, you can check us out at TsunamiCon. I will be up there in October in Wichita. And I'm sure the guys will be there, too. They may just not know it yet. And uh, we'll be doing You're some... You're hoping we're going to be there. <laughs> we're going to be doing some demos and playing some games there. Also, we'll be at Gen Con. So if you want to meet us there, we will totally play a game with you and talk. So with that, keep in mind, follow our Facebook page because... Because we might start doing some live stuff there and you can go real time with us and give us your questions and we will probably fail at answering them. So tweet us your questions, Facebook us your questions or comments. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us this month as we explore the world of board games. Please look us up on Facebook or Twitter at Breaking the Dice and give us your thoughts and feedback.